Let's stand together and open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Father, we thank you that you look upon man and you look upon our hearts and you decide, Father, you move in our lives for your will. You have a plan for every one of us. We pray that our hearts would be right before you. We pray that, Father, you would be able to use us in mighty ways. I pray today that you'd let us see the giants in our lives that are keeping us from the fullness of your will in our lives and let us know what to do about it. Guide us today and fill our hearts with thanksgiving for all you've done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. We read a little bit about the story of David here this morning and David's story has always fascinated me. Here's this boy from an obscure village the youngest of a big family. And out of all the boys in Israel, God looks down and puts his hand on this boy. You begin to wonder why. What's unique about David? In the next few chapters, if you'll read that in chapters 15, 16, 17, you begin to see the character of the boy who will be king. The boy who will be known as the father of the greatest king and the hope of all mankind. When we talk about Jesus, we talk about the son of David. In the very next chapter after what we've read here, we find Israel getting ready to go to battle with the Philistines. This is a life and death thing for the people. It's whether they'll be in poverty or whether they will have things because the enemies would come in and take their crops, take their animals, take everything that they had, leave them. There wasn't much mercy in these battles. And they seemed to always be at war with the Philistines. But in this story about the battle, it's a little unique. The two opposing forces have lined up uh, with, with on two sides of a valley. This valley is going to be their battlefield. But instead of the two sides engaging, the Philistines send out this champion. The Bible describes him as a giant, nine feet tall, trained and dressed for battle. And he comes into the valley And he charges, he calls out and challenges Israel. He says to them, send me your best man, whoever it is. Send your best man to me. If he kills me, we will serve you. If I kill him, you will serve us. Now think about this scene. This goes on, this challenge goes on, the Bible says, for 40 days. 
Each day, Israel comes out and lines up for battle. And each day, the giant comes down into the valley and challenges them to send a champion. And the Bible says that each day, the battle line breaks up. They fall back in fear. They flee from the face of this giant. Nobody wants to go face this guy. Now, enter the story, a young teenage boy named David. On an errand from his father, his three oldest brothers are a part of the army. They're a part of this group of Israelis who are going to fight the Philistines. And dad sends his youngest son, David, to go to where the battlefield is at and to make sure that the older brothers have food. He sends food to them through David. On the morning that David arrives, what has now become a ritual unfolds once again. Goliath defies Israel. The battle lines again are broken. It's an embarrassing moment for Israel. And David, instead of being awed by the scene, his curiosity is piqued by the scene. What is this all about? And it's explained to him that this giant, this warrior, is looking for someone to come fight him. The king hasn't gone out. None of the king's top aides have gone out. None of the men in the army have volunteered to go out. And it's even moved to the point where Saul has sent word throughout the army, there's reward for the man who takes on the giant. If you take on the giant, he's going to make you a, Saul's going to make you a rich man. Going to get a lot of money if you take on the giant. Not only if you take on the giant will you become a rich man, but he's going to give one of his daughters to that man in marriage. You're going to become part of the royal family if you take on that giant. And not only will that happen to you, but your family, now think about this, folks, your family will be tax-exempt for a lifetime. That's a pretty good incentive right there, isn't it? David is, is the first to say, What's the problem? And they're like, it's obvious that what the problem is. The problem is to get all of that, you got to go take on that guy. That's the problem. But, Paul, but David begins to say, I'll, I'll do it. His brothers look at him and say, you braggadocious little brat, you better shut your mouth and get out of here. We know you're just full of yourself. You think you're something and you're really nothing. He's going... Oh, leave me alone. What am I doing that's wrong? I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go face that giant. And the word gets to Saul. Now, David is no stranger to Saul. Saul has been rejected by God, as we just read a few moments ago, because of his disobedience to God and his lack of purity of heart towards God. And he has this troubled spirit. And as they've seen this troubled spirit on Saul, his leaders have said, 
listen, uh, maybe what could help is if we get a, a good musician, someone who really uh, knows worship, and we bring them in, and when you're going through these things, they can sing some of the great songs of hope that we have. And they have found in the middle of all this, before any of this battle starts to happen, they have, for some time period now, they have found David. And David is a great musician. David, as we know now, is a great songwriter. And David, they would bring David in from Jesse's house. And when Saul was having a hard time, David, as a young boy, would come in and play the harp and sing to Saul, and it would soothe Saul's spirit. Then David would travel back home and do the work of the, of the house. He would be the shepherd that he needed to be and work around the home, and then they would call for him. So he, was, he would come back and forth between David uh, David between home and Saul. So when David walks in the door, he's no stranger to Saul. And Saul looked at this young boy have, having seen this, uh, this giant. And as he's standing before the king again, <laughs> Saul looks at him and says, <clears throat> David said, first of all, David says to him, <clears throat> don't let anybody lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go down and fight him. Can you imagine this? Here's this teenage boy, shepherd boy, this singer, this musician, travels back and forth. Whenever dad sends for him, he goes there. Whenever he's sent for by Saul, he comes there. And now he's saying, uh, I'll, I'll, don't, don't worry about this thing. Don't let anybody get upset. I'll, I'll go take care of it for you. And Saul looks at him and says, you can't fight him. You're a boy. He's a fighting man. This is a warrior. And here's where we begin to learn some really big lessons. Spiritual victories of today prepare us for the giants of tomorrow. David's reply is epic. David looks at him, and we read about it in 1 Samuel 17. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. He tells him, hey, I'm the youngest. I get the worst duty in the house. I have to do the things nobody else wants to do. And so at night, the assignment falls to me to watch the sheep. And the time as a shepherd, as I've watched the sheep, predators have come. Lions have come. Bears have come. It's been me and the lions and the bears and the sheep. And God has delivered me time and time again. And God will deliver me from this Philistine. You can read the rest of the story in chapter 17. But David goes out simply with a sling and defeats the giant, and victory is won. Here are the truths I, I want you to capture as we go into this Thanksgiving week. David saw this conflict differently 
that everybody else saw the conflict. He saw this giant not just defying people. He saw him defying the armies of God. He saw this, this giant, this enemy, being in conflict with the plan of God for their lives. Israel was not supposed to be subject to the Philistines. They weren't supposed to be overrun. They weren't supposed to be defeated by their hand. David recognized that this whole scene was not right and that because it wasn't right, that whoever went out to fight that giant was going to have the hand of God upon his life. David recognized that in life. This is one of the things that I think we miss sometimes in our life. We fail to recognize the giants that are fighting in our life to keep us from what God has promised us. You may have this in your life right now. There may be something going on right now in your life where God's promises say there's something different for you. But you're stuck because there's one thing or two things that holds you back from the promise of God. You've got to listen to your spirit right now. Right now, sitting in this place, you've got to ask, are there any giants in my life? Is there any place in my life where what God would have for me, I'm not experiencing? We could list dozens and dozens of things. It may be a son or daughter who's not living for God. It may be a grandson or granddaughter who's got confusion in their life. There may be some place in your life where the battlefield is there. Do you recognize it for what it is? To know your giants, you have to see the issues in life that are not as God has promised. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. That's what David saw. We're not supposed to fall back from them. We're not supposed to be defeated by them. We're supposed to have victory. And we're supposed to be able to have peace. This may seem... It may be something that seems overwhelming. The giant certainly seemed overwhelming. It may be some place where you feel stuck. It may seem impossible. That is what it looked like to everyone in the camp, including King Saul's. David's eyes, he saw differently. David's eyes were not on the size of the problem. David's eyes were on the size of the promise. If you're going to have victory over the things that the enemy sends into your life to keep you and to keep your family from the promises of God, you can't keep your eye on the size of the problem. You've got to get your eyes on the size of the promise. There's a promise for you. David saw it differently this way. David saw the battle as a spiritual one, not a physical one. Everyone else saw a giant against a man. And they fell back 
and they were afraid and the battle lines were broken and no incentive that man could give them inspired them enough to trust God and to go fight this fight because they weren't thinking about God. They weren't thinking about the promises of God. They were thinking about them against a giant. And they fell back. David saw it differently. David saw a giant against the living God. And he said, the living God who's delivered me time and time again will deliver me this time. All I've got to do is step in the role and let God have control. It's easy for us to have a giant in our life. Maybe it's career issues or money issues or loved ones trapped in addictions or sin issues in our own life that we can't seem to get victory over. It may be somebody that we love who's caught in the darkness of denial of God and his reality. It may be someone caught in immorality and they miss the point of who God is. And we give up. We give up because it's too big. We give up because it's too hard. We give up because it seems impossible. When we see the giant, we need to remember our God and we've got to remember his promises. This is why our past victories are important for our future victories. Because our past victories inform our future victories. God lets small things come into our life so that when big things come into our life, we know what's going to happen. He lets those small things slowly get bigger until we're ready to face the giants so that we can learn that if we trust God and obey God and we don't flee in the face of what seems to be an overwhelming circumstance, that we can have victory even against the giants. And so we hear David say it, the Lord has delivered me in the past, he will deliver me in the future. It's interesting for David, David continually throughout his lifetime sees his relationship with God through the eyes of a shepherd. He, he was a shepherd, he related to God as his shepherd. Listen to some of the most famous words of David. We find them in Psalm 23. Listen to what he says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life for I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He saw himself clearly as a shepherd. He had learned 
he knew what a shepherd did for the sheep. He knew how the shepherd would protect the sheep, how the shepherd would lead the sheep, how they would bless the sheep and take care of them. And he knew in the same way that he was the sheep and that God was the shepherd. When under attack, the role of the sheep, you know what the role of the sheep is when under attack? To make enough noise to get the shepherd to come. They're not expected to fight the lion or the bear. They're not expected to gang up on the lion and the bear when the shepherd's fighting. They're expected to get out of the way and let the shepherd take care of the lion and the bear. Our job is just that when we're under attack, our job is to make enough noise for the shepherd to come. It's easy to mistake the spiritual attack for simply a physical attack. The army felt the weight of the physical and they fell back. David saw the spiritual and he stepped up. Keeping anything keeping us from the plan of God, anything keeping us from the spiritual fruit that God would have for us, anything keeping us from God's will being done in our life and are seeing God's fruit grow throughout our lives. Anything that, that does that is defying the promises of God and is a spiritual attack. Sometimes we miss this. When we do, we miss the true battlefield. You can be going through a great battle and never fight it on the right grounds because you think this is just a natural fight instead of it being a spiritual fight. You've got to see your giants. You've got to recognize this thing that is keeping your home, your life, your children, your grandchildren, our nation from having the promises of God poured out upon it and we've got to see the battlefield if we're ever going to have victory. The enemy always wants to overwhelm us. The enemy always wants to make us feel hopeless. The enemy always wants to make us feel like there is no chance for change, that we are stuck, that he is bigger, that he's stronger, and we must be his slave. But God has promised that he will be with us. He will be our shepherd. He will comfort us. He will keep us, and he will deliver us. But we have to see our giants the battle that is keeping you from the promise and the purpose of God, the one that is harming your loved ones, that's the battlefield you've got to enter into. Have you taken action? So what do I do? Well, have you talked to your Christian, talked to your Christian friends and said, hey, we've got to pray about it. See, see, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not one by flesh and blood means. This is where prayer comes into our life, where we begin to see the role of prayer in our life, not as just God being Santa Claus to give us, you know, new stuff and, and, a, and a higher wage at work or whatever. This is where we see the real battlefield is when we enter in and we say there are things keeping us from the promises of God. We are going to come to God. We're going to make enough noise in front of the shepherd until he comes to our deliverance. 
Have you gone to your small group and asked for advice and asked for prayer? Have you brought it to a prayer night, written it down on one of our boards for somebody else to pray about it? Have you even come to a prayer night? Have you even taken a moment and say, you know what, I'm going to go out there Monday night or Sunday night or Tuesday night and I'm going to get inside, I'm going to get involved, in the, I'm going to get involved in the battle for our nation, I'm going to get involved in the battle for my children and my grandchildren, I'm going to get involved in the battle over, over the spiritual things that would oppress me and keep me from having the fullness of God. Have you taken it to your appointment with God day after day and said, God, I'm standing right here. You, you say to knock on the door. You've told us to seek. I am knocking on the door. I am seeking. You've told us to knock until the answer comes. I'm knocking on the door. I'm not giving up. I'm not surrendering. I'm going to cry out for my grandson or my granddaughter. I'm going to cry out for my friend who is lost. I'm going to lift my voice for my nation. I'm going to pray for victory over this temptation in my life until I'm walking in the victory that only you can give. Listen, I'm just telling you, we just got to learn what Jesus said. Jesus said, keep knocking. Jesus said, keep asking. Jesus said, don't give up on it. Keep doing this this is where the battlefield is at and when God moves what you need is going to come what you need is going to come do you see the hand of the enemy that's keeping you from victory spiritual victories can only be won through God's power here's the third thing <laughs> David was inspired by the promise of the king it's interesting. He asks him what's going, what's going on. They tell him what's going on. And then they start listening. And they say, you know, and the guy who goes down and fights him, you know, they're probably thinking this little kid, he's, he's not going to be able to do anything. And, you know, the guy who goes down and fights him, the king's going to make him rich. He's going to give him his daughter in marriage. And his family's going to be tax exempt for the rest of his life. And David goes, what? What's going to happen? Well, he's going to get rich. He's gonna... David goes, you mean for simply going out and doing what I should do anyway? For simply being the tool in God's hand to win the victory God has already promised? I'm going to get all that stuff? Sign me up. This is part of what we have to see. Have you seen the promises of what God wants for you? He wants victory in your life. He wants your children, your grandchildren's eyes to be open to the promises of God. He wants our country to be a holy, righteous people that return to biblical truth. He wants these things for us. He's waiting for us to ask. Have you seen the promise? Have you applied the conditions of the promise? Many don't have victories because you see the giants as just being a course of life to be dealt with instead of a spiritual force of life that needs to be defeated. Don't make a mistake. Sometimes before the giant will fall, you have to let God work in your life. You have to let him bring you to fullness of victory. You have to become fully his. You have to go down into that valley and throw our life fully in God's hand. Because see, if you go to face that giant, you're going to need God to win. 
Most of the time, that's where the tough work is found. The tough work is found in God getting us ready for the victory. You know, we sang this song today about Jesus resurrected. What a great song. I often wonder, when did Satan figure out the plan of God? You know, Satan, he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. And sometime along in this path, you wonder, when did, when did Satan realize that this whole thing at the cross was the work of God? Did he know it before? It seems like his hands in the inspiration of trying to get the children of Israel to turn against Jesus to get him crucified. Could it be, I don't know, I mean, could it be that he was as confused about what Jesus was going to do on this earth as they were? They were confused. They thought he was going to set up his kingdom now. He offered, Satan offered him the opportunity to set up his kingdom now under his authority. Did he have it all figured out? So he gets crucified. I wonder what Satan was thinking that day. Was he thinking, there it is. Putting into that. He can't be the Messiah now. Did he sit there going on Friday night? Took care of that. Saturday all day long, it's been a good day. Messiah was defeated, Son of God was killed. What was it like in the tomb that morning? I, I kind of wondered, did he take that first breath of air with a gasp? Or did he simply breathe it in with a smile? Death is defeated. The enemy is defeated. At that moment, did Satan suddenly realize, I have lost. I thought I had victory. But I have lost. The King of Kings has won the battle. Jesus understood the battle was a spiritual battle. And if he won the spiritual battle, the physical battle would take care of itself. Oh, what a, yeah, give the Lord a clap off. Listen to me, you've got to do something about this risen Savior. You've got to make a decision. Making no decision is making a decision. You've got to make a decision. Is he my Lord? We're here today because the message of the gospel is a, about a risen Savior. These guys went to their, went to, and were martyred, killed in this world, not afraid of being killed in this world because they knew Jesus as a risen Savior. They proclaimed that everything they preached and taught about was based on this truth, that Jesus was risen from the grave and that someday we're going to stand before him. And if we stand before him on our own merit, we stand before him lost. But if we stand before him, having put our faith in his work on the cross, his shed blood on the cross, that we get to wear his righteousness, not our own righteousness, and we get to stand before God forgiven. 
That day's coming for every one of us, folks. That day's coming for every one of us. We're going to walk into that throne room dressed in the righteousness of Christ or we're going to walk into that throne room in the nakedness of our unrighteousness and be separated from God forever. Your decision about Christ is the most important one you'll ever make in life. Let's stand together today and let's pray. Prayer teams, can you come down front? Oh, Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, I just pray right now in Jesus' name. We thank you for the righteousness of your son and for his victory on the cross. And Lord, we pray today in Jesus' name, if anyone is here that's never asked your son into their life, have wandered from the submission to your son, that today, right now, they would open their heart to you and receive you as their Savior in Jesus' name. Every head bow, every eye closed. You'll say, Pastor, I need to get my heart right with God today. I want to make sure I have surrendered my life to this one who's risen from the grave. Just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me right now in Jesus' name. Waiting for your hand. Looking for you. Waiting for you. Bless the Lord. We love you. God loves you. Most important thing you'll ever do. Lord, you see every life in this room today. I pray, Father, that no one here will be able to escape this message. That you'll just let your spirit speak back to them again and again and again. And that, Father, if there's anyone here whose heart's not right with you, that, Father, you would you would just, in your mercy and your patience and your love, keep speaking to their life. Now, Lord, I pray for those of us in this room, all of us in this room. Father, but especially for those who have a spiritual battle going on. There's something the enemy is keeping them from. But you want them to have victory, but they've got to engage in the battle. Father, we just, we just call this church to come and pray with us for our country. For we're in a great spiritual battle. But Lord, in every individual life, there can be spiritual battles as well. Some may know what that battle is before they came in the door today. And some, you may have awakened them to it as we talk today. Lord, let us choose to engage and see your victory in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing this song today. And here's what I'm encouraging you to do. One of the things that we do in spiritual battles is we get with other people and we agree with them and they agree with us and we pray in unity for the victory of God because it is a spiritual battle. And so I'm asking you, whatever need you may have, bring it down. But if you're going through a spiritual battle, maybe you were just awakened to it today. Come down and ask somebody to pray with you. Again, maybe it's a son or daughter, a loved one, a mom, a dad that's far from God. They're hard-hearted. They're cold-hearted. I was talking with, uh, with Andy this morning, right down here. Andy's dad was looking for him. I knew he was sitting right over there. Andy's dad passed away this weekend. We'd be praying for Andy. Uh, but also, his sister, his sister, her father-in-law passed away less than 24 hours before. She lost 
The great thing is Andy and Tina got to lead the father-in-law to Christ a month ago. Is that awesome? That's an awesome, awesome thing that God, God used them to do. Listen, just be faithful. Hard hearts can be softened. And here was a heart that for years denied Christ. And God let them at just the right moment to have just the right conversation a month ago. And now he's in heaven. Thank God. Amen. Thank God. Don't give up on your giants. They're going to fall. Amen. Come down. Let somebody pray with you and then they'll dismiss here in just a moment. God bless you. Love y'all.